Dismiss the children for Children's Church. That means children ages four up through first grade. And utter also Waterway 2-5. So children in grades two through five. So come on up here. Good morning. All right. Well, it's wonderful to see all of you boys and girls here this morning. I'm sure your teachers are excited for the opportunity to teach, and you guys are such a good crowd. All right. Well, hey, before we send you off, how about we have a word of prayer, okay? So let's fold our hands, close our eyes, and bow our heads, and let's talk to God. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together this morning so that we can learn more about you. God, that our faith would be strengthened and encouraged. And Lord, I pray that as the teachers teach, God, that you will help them to teach well. Lord, I pray for these students. God, that you would help them to listen well and to learn well. Because God, the object of Waterway Church is to help people become more like Jesus. So God, help that to happen today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. See you, boys and girls. Have fun in your class. Well, this past week, Pastor Jesse asked me if I heard that Santa Claus was late this year because Rudolph kept taking coffee breaks. And I said, no, Jesse, I didn't hear that. But I'm not surprised because Rudolph is the star buck. How dare you tie me to that joke? Okay. <laughs> okay, he didn't ask me that. Okay, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. Please, please forgive me. Hey, we are looking in the book of Luke. We've been in the book of Luke for some time now, and we're in Luke chapter 3. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at verses 21 to 38. Luke 3, verses 21 through 38. And as you're turning there, let me pray. God, it's my desire this morning to teach clearly the word of God. So Lord, help me. Help me to be clear. Help me to present the word of God in such a way that people will understand. God, thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 3, up until verse 20 in the book of Luke in chapter 3, it's been pretty much setting the stage for Jesus' ministry. So everything that has happened, it's been to present Jesus. And now in verse 21, we're going to see Jesus being launched out into ministry. 
Because in the first part of the book of Luke, we have John the Baptist, his miraculous conception. We read about the birth of Jesus and all the events of surrounding the birth of Jesus. Um, we heard about the encounter of Simeon and Anna, um, Jesus teaching at the temple when he was 12 years old. And then John the Baptist starting his teaching ministry. So now we come to Luke 3, starting at verses 21 and 22. We're going to take a look at that first. We're going to take a look at those two verses as we begin our time together. Now, I'm going to be reading from the ESV because that is what the quizzers will be quizzing on. So Luke 3, verses 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now these couple of verses, this account of the baptism of Jesus is one of the events that is found in all four gospels. So you know that this was a very important event because all four gospel writers included it in their narrative. Now, this event is just not one little story in the life of Christ. This event has very significant meaning to it. It's of tremendous importance. In fact, as we will see, this event and what happened concerning Jesus, our faith is built upon this fact. Our faith is built upon what happened here in these two verses. Now, for 18 years, nothing has been heard of. Jesus was living in obscurity. The last thing we heard was when age 12, Jesus was in the temple. And when his parents came to Jerusalem for the Passover, Jesus was left behind. He was not home alone, okay? He was just left behind. And he was in the temple teaching. And so that's what we know. But from age 12 to age 30, we have nothing. We have 18 years of hearing nothing about Jesus. He was living in obscurity in a little town of Nazareth in the Galilee region. For those 18 years, it was preparation for his ministry that he was about to embark on. And we have nothing as far as what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was like, all we know is that he was living with his family, working in the carpentry business for 18 years in Nazareth. He had no public profile. He had no LinkedIn account. He had no Facebook or TikTok. It was Jesus living quietly with his family. I mean, outside of Nazareth, probably nobody knew his name. He was living pretty much a normal Jewish life in Nazareth. Now we have John the Baptist had already started his ministry. It was approximately six months that John the Baptist was teaching and he was baptizing and he was telling the people to repent. 
And from the commentaries that I was reading, the expositor's commentary, it put this event approximately in the summer of 26 AD. Now, verse 23, now when all the people were baptized. Now, when Luke says all the people, he's referring to the crowds that came to John to be baptized. If we go back to verse 7 in chapter 3, we see that the crowds were coming to John. They were coming to hear what he had to say and to be baptized when they repented from their sins. Now, like I said, all four Gospels record this event. So in order for us to get a full picture of what happened here, we need to take a look at some of the other accounts. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Just keep your place in Luke 3 and turn back to Matthew 3. And we'll take a look at verse 5. Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. And it says this. People went out to him, John the Baptist, from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. So people were flocking to hear John the Baptist. Why? Because nothing was heard from a prophet for hundreds of years. It was a silent time. It was nothing was being said by a prophet. And all of a sudden you have John the Baptist coming onto the scene and people were flocking to hear the message of John the Baptist. And he was telling people to repent from your sins, turn from your sins, because the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. So prepare yourself for the, for the Messiah coming. So repent and be baptized to show that you have repented from your sins. And it is in this setting that Jesus comes to be baptized too. And it's a public setting. There were crowds of people, like I said, coming to John the Baptist to get baptized. And Jesus comes onto the scene with the crowds to be baptized. Also in Matthew 3, uh, skip down to verse 13. Because it doesn't say this in Luke, but in Matthew, it says that Jesus came to John the Baptist and John the Baptist is like, Whoa, wait a second. Time out. No. Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now, why would John try to deter Jesus from being baptized? Well, I think because of a couple of reasons. One is that John understands who Jesus is. I mean, after all, they're cousins. And you had Mary going to Elizabeth. And you had uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth teaching John the Baptist that, hey, the Messiah is coming. This is the Messiah. So John the Baptist knew what the Messiah was going to be like. And the Messiah is sinless. The Messiah is perfect. And John's baptism was for people who were perfect? No. 
John's baptism was for people who were sinners. So if Jesus was to get baptized, wouldn't it look like, oh, wait, <laughs> he's a sinner like the rest of us? But I, no, wait, I, that's not why I'm baptizing. I'm baptizing because people are repenting from their sins and Jesus being perfect does not need to repent from his sins. So no wonder John said, wait a second, uh, I don't think so. Um, I, I think you should baptize me because I know I'm a sinner and I know that you're not a sinner. Um, wait a second, let's, let's think about this. Well, if we go back a few verses um, in Matthew 3, we said that all Judea and Jerusalem and all the region around the Jordan were going to him and they were being baptized in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So John was like, uh-uh, I, I don't think I should baptize you because you are not a sinner. Well, we as Waterway Church holds to the same idea of baptism because we baptize people who have repented from their sins. We baptize people because they have trusted Christ as their savior. We baptize people so that they can let everybody know that they have repented from their sins. We do that as well. That's why we baptize. But Jesus came to John to get baptized. So, a question to be asked is, why did Jesus need to get baptized? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Why? Yeah, I, I read that story about Jesus getting baptized, but why did Jesus need to get baptized? Well, let's look at Matthew 3.15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You know, these were the first words of Jesus since he was 12 years old and teaching in the tabernacle. This, there was 18 years of silence. And so these were the first words of Jesus so that they can fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does that mean to fulfill all righteousness? Well, if we are to fulfill all righteousness, that means that we would be perfect. We would be without sin. And so John was baptizing people who repented people who became righteous. And so they got baptized to show everybody that that is what they were because of their belief in Jesus as their savior. And so God asked Jesus to be baptized as well because that's what righteous people did. That's what people who have trusted in Christ, their sins have been forgiven. They're now righteous. And so Jesus got baptized because that's what righteous 
people do. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened. Isn't it interesting to note that uh, Luke says that Jesus was praying. And it certainly highlights the important piece in Jesus' life because how many times do we read in the Gospels that Jesus went somewhere to pray. And here, as Jesus was getting baptized, he was praying. And you know, it's part of the mystery of the Godhead that Jesus being God was praying. And then it says, the heavens opened. The heavens opened. And you know, there are a number of instances throughout the Bible where it says that the heavens opened, like in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And also when Stephen was being stoned, it talked about the heavens being opened and Stephen saw into the very throne room of God. And you know, when the heavens open, there's usually two things that, that happen. One is that there is a divine appearance. You see God or the likeness of God. And then you also have a divine utterance. So when the heavens open here, you have a divine appearance and then you also have a divine utterance. Now we come to verse 22. A very, 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 very important scripture verse. Why is this an important scripture verse? Because all three persons of the Godhead appear and because of what is said. It says, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, let me be very clear. The Holy Spirit is not a dove, all right? For all of you who have a, a, a dove symbol for the Holy Spirit on your car or somewhere, the Holy Spirit is not a dove, okay? He descended like a dove. Of course, in Acts chapter 2, we have the Holy Spirit descending like tongues of fire. So we never know how the Holy Spirit's going to present himself. But here we have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. So we have a divine appearance. Now, with the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, does, does that mean that he didn't have the Holy Spirit? Does that mean he wasn't spirit-filled? I mean, why do we have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus? I mean, did, did Jesus need to have that happen in order to empower himself for ministry? I mean, what, what is with the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus? Well, it's for a very special purpose. And there is very special meaning behind it. We need to go to the book of John. John 1, verses 32 to 34. It's going to be up on the screen. You can follow along. Then John, John the Baptist, gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. 
I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, which would have been God who sent him and told him this, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this was a confirmation from God that Jesus is the Messiah. It was a confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. And he goes on to say, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus was God's way of letting everyone see that this man, this Jesus, was authenticated for a special purpose, for a special ministry. Now remember, there were crowds there. There were lots of people. So this did not happen by themselves. It happened among a great crowd of people. So the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus so that people could see that Jesus was anointed for a special purpose, for a special reason. In Luke 4, we will see that Jesus was tested in the wilderness by Satan, and then he went to his home in Nazareth. And I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Jesus went to the temple, and he took the scroll from Isaiah. And while he was in the, the temple there, he read from Isaiah 61, and it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. And that's exactly what happened when the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus. Jesus was anointed for ministry. And everyone around could see that something special happened to this person being baptized to Jesus. Not only do you have a dove descending from heaven, the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, you also have a voice that came from heaven. And this voice said, you are my beloved son, in Luke 3, 22. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now you have a voice coming down from heaven, an audible voice that people could hear, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now don't miss this, don't miss this, because God is confirming that for the first 30 years of your life, you have lived perfectly. You have fulfilled my purpose for you for those first 30 years in preparing yourself for ministry. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus lived a perfect life because God was well pleased with him. Jesus living in obscurity with his family, working with his half-brothers, working with Joseph. And at some point, Joseph died. So Jesus might have even been in charge of the family business. I don't know, but he was there working with his family 
in a little town of Nazareth, nobody watching, and he lived perfectly. We all know what Jesus didn't say when he hit his finger with a hammer. With the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus, with the voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is the inauguration of Jesus as the Messiah. So he could begin his public ministry. You know, something interesting I found out, there are three times in which God spoke audibly over Jesus. You know that? I didn't realize that till this week. I might've heard about it, but I forgot about it. The first time that we hear the, the audible voice of Jesus is here at the baptism. The second time is the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were up on the mount with Jesus. And, and we, again, we have a voice where uh, God said, hey, this is my beloved son. This is Jesus. Listen to him is what the voice says. The third time we have an audible voice and I just learned that this week because of my Thursday morning Bible study class. We're looking at the book of John and after the triumphal entry, how many of you knew that? After the triumphal entry, then Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the crowds are there and God speaks again and says, hey, this is Jesus. I am pleased with you. I am pleased with what you have done. Three times, three times, God speaks about Jesus and that he is pleased with him. All right. That's verses 21 and 22. Now we have a lot of verses to cover, but we're not gonna cover each verse individually because that's 15 verses. So I hope to boil it down now to the bare minimum here as we look at these 15 verses. And I don't think you really want me to read through them and to go through them verse by verse because it's a genealogy. And how many people are thrilled with genealogies? It's like, okay, yeah, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so is related to this person and on and on and on it goes. Luke lists 77 names in his genealogy list. Why in the world do we have these 77 names in the book of Luke? Sarah Slate, look, Matthew already did it. How come Luke has to do it too? Come on. Because it is very, very important that we have this genealogy list. Why are they important? Well, according to John MacArthur, a guy that I looked at his commentary, he gives five reasons why we have this list of ancestors of Jesus here. 
Number one, ancestry determined one claim to land, which is true because you were of this tribe or that tribe or this tribe, you got certain pieces of land in the promised land. So you better know who you're related to. That's why ancestry was so very, very important to the Jews. Ancestry determines your land. The second reason that John MacArthur gives that ancestry determines the right to inheritances, which is even true today. Because you're related to this person, you can get an inheritance. Same was true back in Jesus' time. Ancestry determined the right to inheritances. Number three, ancestry determined the basis for taxation. Why did Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem? Because they were related to the line of David and they had to go to Bethlehem to be taxed. So your ancestry determined your basis for taxation. Ancestry also determined if you could be a priest. We are the tribe of Levi. If you weren't, you're not gonna be a priest. But if you are, there's a possibility that you could be a priest. Also, ancestry determined if you could be a king, where you have the kingly line. So ancestry was very important. You got to know who you're related to. And they did. They kept meticulous records of who your ancestors were. John MacArthur goes on to say this. And that is why the Jews kept very careful genealogical records. The genealogy of Luke is indicative of that. And he obviously found access to the genealogy records here because it was likely a matter of public record, as is the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. Yes, scripture is inspired by God, but inspiration from God does not mean that Luke or Matthew didn't have access to an actual record that was available in the public office or could be verified as the true and accurate genealogy of Jesus Christ. I thought that was interesting that they probably had records where Luke, who we know researched his document because he was writing to Theophilus. And so he researched it and obviously found the record of uh, this genealogy. And Luke thinks that it's important that in another way, we can confirm that Jesus is the true Messiah. Now, we already saw pretty amazing proofs of the Messiahship of Jesus because you hear a voice from heaven, you have the Holy Spirit coming down on him. I mean, that's a pretty good indication that um, Jesus is somebody special. Well, Luke thought, you know what? I could include this genealogy to also prove that Jesus is Messiah. Because somebody could go and research it. Somebody could go look it up and, okay, yeah. Yeah, they might have missed the event of Jesus' baptism, but they certainly could see from the records that Jesus was from the line of David, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, Luke's genealogy is quite different. In fact, it is unique in a couple of ways. For one, Luke starts at the present 
and works his way back to David and also works his way back to Adam and ultimately God. So Luke's genealogy starts from the present and works backwards. Usually genealogies work from, okay, these are my great, great, great grandparents and this is the family tree down to me. Luke starts from the present and works his way back. The second interesting thing about this ancestry of, in Luke is that it's of the maternal side. Usually, when you do a genealogy, it's always from the paternal side, from the father, from his line. Um, but Luke starts with Mary's line. Now, why would you do that? Was that because Matthew had Joseph's line? I don't know, but think about this. In Matthew, you have Joseph's line, which goes back to the line of David. Was Joseph Jesus' biological father? No, we know that. We believe that. We believe that it was the Holy Spirit who was Jesus' father. But you know what? Mary, Jesus' biological mother, her line goes back to David. Ah. Huh. So nobody could say, well, Jesus wasn't of the line of David because, yeah, okay, Joseph was, but Joseph wasn't his biological father. So, so we, no, <laughs> see, you can't do that. Luke saw fit to include the maternal genealogical line of Jesus to prove that Jesus was in the line of David so that he could be the Messiah. And they could check the records. They could check the genealogical records. So why does this matter to us? Why, why should we care? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we should care. Because it again proves that Jesus is who he said he was. Folks, our faith is not based on just some cool little stories that are out there. Our faith is based upon the fact of Jesus Christ, that he actually existed, he was a real person, and that he is who he said he was, the perfect Messiah. And you know, if that is true, which I believe with my whole heart, then all the promises about Jesus is true. You know, we're the ones that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The ones that, that say Jesus knows exactly how you feel because he went through the same things. He had friends stab him in the back. He had friends desert him. couple places in the New Testament, you will see where Jesus says, my soul is deeply troubled. Man, he knows. He knows how you feel. He might not have gone through the exact thing that you have gone through, but he knows. He knows how you feel when you feel despondent. 
He knows how you feel when you feel isolated and all alone. He knows how you feel when you bury a loved one. Man, this is so encouraging to me to know that what I am facing, Jesus has already been there and has faced it. And he can come alongside me to encourage me, to help me. He can come alongside me to help me in my faith to become more like Jesus as I trust him. That's why it matters. Friends, Jesus is who he said he was. Luke said, when he was baptized, there was the Holy Spirit descending. There was a voice from heaven. There is this genealogy of Mary that ties him back to David. Yep, Jesus is who he said he was. We can believe it and we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can know that Jesus is who he said he was, the perfect Messiah. And because of that, he could die on the cross for our sins. And he could pay the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to face the penalty. God, thank you for that. Thank you for this passage in the book of Luke to encourage us in our faith and to help us to stand strong in our faith. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.